Happy Christmas, you guys. Growing up in the UK, we all used to say Happy Christmas, and I had to get used to saying Merry Christmas. And then I was watching Harry Potter, and they were all saying Happy Christmas, and I thought, that sounds so odd. Happy Christmas. And yet, I still find myself saying it, Happy Christmas. <clears throat> it is my privilege to share with you this morning. And um, I am just absolutely baffled by how, um, how Holy Spirit does this. You have a verse that is set before you uh, because we are going through the book of Mark. And I was sharing with another pastor um, this week, and he was saying exactly the same thing. He's part of, a, of a, uh, an Anglican church, and the liturgy is all laid out, and he is given his verses well in advance. And yet you sit down to look at the verse, and you think, oh, how's this going to go with Christmas? And then it's so beautiful. Isn't it beautiful how Scripture just comes alive and sits in a moment in a way that... So I hope that that's what I can share this morning, is the beauty of a Scripture that we talked about back in the summer, um, as being, well, let's do Mark, and as we do Mark, we won't worry too much that there isn't, there isn't an account of the birth of Jesus. Uh, let's just examine the passages that were given in light of Advent. And so that is what I'm doing this morning, and I am going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to our hearts. Would you pray with me? Holy God, what a gift to be here together this morning to be in your presence together, to be with one another, to carry into this morning uh, the things that made it hard to get out of bed or the excitements, the celebrations, that whatever we bring to share, we are here together and we are family. Whether we can remember one another's names or not, we are family. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Stir in us the memory of who you are, how you have spoken to us in ages past, individually and collectively, as your community, as your bride. And this morning, that our hearts would be kindled again with the wonder of your advent. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we celebrated the lighting of the candle of joy, which is the pink candle. Um, I think that it is so lovely that liturgically, joy is pink, apropos. And as we've looked at joy, um, I thought, as I was preparing, that joy is one of those funny emotions. It's one of those funny feelings, but it's also one of those slightly odd disciplines. Joy is elusive. Very often, I can go through a day that runs the gamut of emotions from uh, frustration to happiness in a moment to anger at something going wrong or being inconvenient, and I get to the end of it and I can acknowledge that, actually, I didn't really look for any joy. Where was the joy in today? 
I have over the years made looking for joy a bit of a discipline. There have been really hard moments, I think, in all of our lives where we can look back and we can say, what was it that I tackled that season with? How did I get through? There are a number of moments in my life where I can look back. I remember one in particular. It had been a number of months. Um, I had graduated from my master's degree in 08. Uh, the crash had happened, and nobody was hiring, and I was almost out of gas sitting on the 405 freeway in Los Angeles. And the sun was going down, and I was surrounded by all of these frustrated people. And I started talking to God because I was really scared, and I was really angry. And my life was just fully off the map, and I just didn't know what I was doing. And I remember looking at this sky and thinking, does it get any better than this? And the thought was a depressing one to begin with. What if it doesn't? And then I keenly heard the echo of the Holy Spirit. Does it get any better than this? And I looked at that sky, and I thought, oh, hang on a second. There is joy right now, right here. And if there is joy here, right now, I mean, like, my circumstances are pretty dire. And if there's joy here, can there be joy all the time, in all the places. So I started to look for joy. I started to make it more and more of a discipline. Sometimes it shows up as a little bit of delight. Something that my daughter does. A giggle, a laugh, her two-year-old self snuggling with her brother first thing in the morning. Sometimes it's peace in the midst of the storm. It's the ability to close a door and take a couple of deep breaths and just recognize this is just a moment and this too will pass. Sometimes joy is actually in the deep grief. I don't know if you've ever found this before, but in the deepest grief, when you actually sit with it and it goes all the way down to the bottom and you sit with it and sit with it and you wait and then it stops that grief, just like a lead weight right down at the bottom. And then you realize, oh, but this isn't really the bottom. There's something underneath that is beautiful and good. And then there's that little tiny spark of joy. There are seasons where joy is really hard to find. But this morning... I hope that as we examine the passage from the book of Mark, that we will be able to make a little bit of a link between a sense of wonder that comes in a very strange moment and the joy, the everlasting joy that is our waiting for Christ. This morning, I hope that I can help you and I hope that I do this well, unpack the encouragement as we look at this passage from Mark. In this series on intention, the passage that we come to this morning is the one of the woman with the jar of perfume. 
I imagine this is a story that we've heard in a sermon before, and yet, maybe not at Christmas. So here we go. Mark 14, 3 through 9. While he, Jesus, was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor will always, you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare it for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. There are a lot of unknowns in this passage, and I looked at some of the parallel passages to examine what's happening here, what is familiar to us. Um, the book of John has this woman as Mary, the sister of Lazarus, somebody who was deeply devoted to Jesus, the one who sat at his feet. In some accounts, she's pouring oil over his feet. In some accounts, it's an unknown woman who is weeping and washing his feet with hair, with her hair. In this account, the woman is unknown, and so we are going to leave her unknown this morning. What is interesting is that there is a question of what's happening, and we're going to unpack that. What we do know is that her act of adoration is prophetic and that it is acknowledged by Jesus as such. Prophecy is something that we're familiar with at Advent. We celebrate the prophecies of the coming Messiah. We remember them actively at Advent. But outside of Advent, we don't talk a ton about prophecy uh, maybe if we're reading Harry Potter, it comes up a bit. But it's that idea of something that's a little bit outside of what makes us comfortable in our everyday. Prophecy is this idea of accurately describing or having knowledge of the future. Or as it does in stories like Harry Potter. It's the notion that when you speak of something, you speak of the knowledge of a prophecy. So in the New Testament, there is a spoken knowledge of the prophecy of the coming Messiah. And this is what we visit at Advent. But I'd like to offer us something else this morning. And that is that very often when we actually look at the prophets of the Old Testament, they aren't just prophesying an event. What they're doing is they're identifying a reality. They speak of an event that will come, 
But if you go back and you read a lot of those passages, they don't consistently make a lot of sense. There aren't these long passages, even the one about the virgin who will be with child and will bear a son. They come in the midst of a lot of other passages, and these passages speak keenly of a different otherworldly way, a different way of doing things, a different way of being in the world. So in this moment, when this woman comes to pour this perfume over Jesus, this is a prophetic moment, and I want to unpack that. So here, these men are sitting, and it literally says they're, they're eating meat. I don't know if that's supposed to reinforce something very masculine that's happening, or if it's just that they're at that part of the meal, where you really tuck in, you really get to it. Either way, this is a disruption. It's a disruption. She comes in, and they are reclining, and their heads are towards the meal, and their feet are away from the meal, and they're leaning on their elbows, and they're reaching into a shared meal, and she has to come all the way up to where Jesus' head is, and then she breaks the jar, and she begins to pour what is estimated to be about a pound of nard or rich amber oil over his head. This is intimate, it's odd, it's awkward, it's interrupting. How often is God's reality like that? The perfume itself, there's been a little bit of research done around it, but it was considered a spike nard coming from the spike nard or a honeysuckle kind of a plant. It has a very strong scent, and it grows in the Himalayas, which is why it was so expensive. This was a perfume that had to come from Nepal or China or India. It came from the mountains. It had come a long way. The woman who in her time would not have been able to own property, would have had her dowry in the form of a perfume, would have had her security financially in the form of this perfume, would have had her future in the form of this perfume. It's said that Part of the grumbling and complaining was about how expensive the perfume was, that it was being wasted in this moment. Uh, it is said that uh, the perfume cost approximately a year's wages. So if a Daenerys at the time was what a laborer got paid per day, taking away Sabbaths and other special feasts, 300 denarii was about a year's income. Mark 6.37 says that 200 denarii is enough to feed at least 5,000 people. So 300 denarii, we're going to assume about 7,500. So in 2020, the annual real wage in the United States median was about $67,000. But then I thought, what does it take to cater like a casual meal for 7,500 people? 
that ticks up to $187,000. So somewhere between $67,000 and $187,000 got poured out over the head of Jesus in less than five minutes. That's a lot of money. We're never told why the woman owns this. What we do know is that she is pouring out her security, her investment, her future. Let's be really honest for a second. We're told what to think by the situation because of the response that Jesus has. But let's imagine for a moment that there's no response or that this is our very first reading and it might be your very first reading. What do we really think about what's happening here? A woman enters a room full of men who are eating, takes her dowry, her nest egg, a year's worth of income, breaks the investment, and gifts it to Jesus in an act of adoration. Is this wasteful? Even by kingdom standards, Judas, who is the most outspoken grumbling disciple in a different book, Judas isn't wrong. His heart might not be in the right place, but he's not wrong. This doesn't appear to be a responsible choice. Jesus is the Son of God. He is holy God and holy man. But is this the moment to do something that highlights that reality? And if it is, how did she know? Wouldn't it have been better to feed the poor? What this woman's choice does calls attention to the otherworldliness of the kingdom. That's what makes it prophetic. It calls attention to Christ as the center of that kingdom, the person of Jesus, and not just a set of values. It is otherworldly, and it's a little weird. When the reality of the kingdom breaks through into our order, we see differently. Sometimes we feel differently. We hear differently. A number of years ago, my family and I were living in the Bay Area, and we went to a Christmas Eve service. This was a habit of ours. We really enjoyed attending Christmas Eve services that were in communities that we were not a part of. And so we found a local Methodist church that had a Christmas Eve service, found out what time it was, and following our Christmas Eve meal, we went in with all of their local congregants to join them. It was about this size, and the pews down the front were kind of sparse, the way these are. But it was beautifully candlelit and very typical for a Christmas Eve. About two-thirds of the way through the service, <clears throat> teenagers started walking in. And they came down and they filled the pews, just like this. They sat next to my mom, between Tara. And they just started filling the pews, these teenagers, really quiet. Like these were the, and I thought, oh, are they going to do a reading? What? 
And they sat, and they sat so quietly with one another. And as I sat next to my dad, a deep grief came over me. And I thought, oh, no. I do this sometimes. I've done it since I was a little girl. She's a little woo-hoo. I just started to feel something that I could not put my finger on. And I put my head down on my dad's shoulder and tears started streaming down my face. And I thought, I am going to ugly cry in the middle of this service. What is going on? I didn't know. I thought, I'm moved by all these teenagers being here. I don't know what is happening. It was disorienting for me, and yet I could not help but embrace that there was a deep grief. And I just started to cry out in my heart for these teenagers. I just started to cry out, God, have mercy. I do not know what is going on, but have mercy. Fill them with your grace and your love. Let them know that you are right here with them and that they are not alone. At the end of the service, it was gently announced that all of the teenagers could come into the fireside room because their dear friend and an exchange student had passed away the night before in his sleep and they were all there to grieve. They had just shown up collectively at this Christmas Eve service to grieve the loss of their friend. I cannot explain how I felt that grief, but I knew what my prayer was. How do we explain these moments? What happens when our reality becomes a prophetic reality. And what do we do with it? This woman who breaks the perfume over Jesus' head, she's not the first in Scripture. We see it in the obedience of a teenage Mary when she responds to the news that she would carry the Messiah. May it be unto me according to your word. It is in the wisdom of Joseph who heeds the angel and flees to Egypt with his little family. This act is prophetic in the way that Anna and Simeon and John the Baptist prophetically recognize the reality of heaven in Jesus that is breaking into our reality. This isn't just about participating in the values of the kingdom like giving to the poor. This is about the prophetic act of partnering to usher in the kingdom. Throughout human history, it has been the prophets and the poets, the painters and the songwriters, who have called us to examine again and again the wonder and otherworldliness of Yahweh. And then, Emmanuel, God with us. What has this wonder called you into? What has this realization asked of you? 
do you find yourself restless? An increased sensitivity to injustice? A nudge to do something extravagant? Sometimes I think that this wonder can be a kind of heightened awareness like I experienced on that Chris, in that Christmas Eve service. Sometimes it is just a saying yes when we don't entirely know what we are saying yes to. Sometimes it is seeing an, a moment for another person and standing alongside and saying, yeah, I see this. It feels a little weird. Keep going. God's in this. When we hear the voice of the Spirit, even sometimes in the face of what we think are our kingdom values, we step into a world that is other, and in doing so, we usher that world here. I want to be the kind of disciple who sees these moments and these choices for what they are. I don't want to sound like Judas. I want to embrace the wonder and step into even the weirdness with joy and adoration because there's always joy when we are part of ushering in the kingdom. When Jesus said to his disciples, the poor will always be among you, but I will not, he's actually quoting Deuteronomy 15 in the order that God laid out to the Israelites and how they were supposed to live, there was an accounting for all those who would live as the poor among them, both those of the Jewish community and those who were foreigners. There was order that designed that none should actually have to live poor. And yet we know, and Jesus knew, we never got there. So when Jesus says, the poor will always be among you, part of what he is stating is the prophetic reality that he states to the woman at the well, come and drink and you will be thirsty no more. It is the reality that the fulfillment of the law was always going to identify that people could never fully keep the law. And so there were always poor. And yet, when we come to Jesus and we step into the reality of Jesus, we begin to usher in a kingdom that Jesus knew would change the reality of all. We're going to take a moment as we close. And the so what of this morning is, what do we do with this? The Spirit will move as the Spirit will move. That is not anything we can control. And yet, in our busyness and in our consumption of this season, Sometimes it's a little bit hard to know, what do I do with this? What do I do with even the wonder and the weirdness? How do I make room for joy? And I would like to encourage us. It is simply 
in our adoration. That's all she does. That is her prophetic act. It is an act of adoration. Extravagant adoration. So I want to give us just a moment of silence this morning to contemplate the beauty of Emmanuel, God with us, and a reality that is breaking through. this woman was identifying who Jesus was and what was to come. Did she even really know? Did she know that Jesus would still have the scent of her perfume in his hair when they laid him in the tomb and when he walked out of it? She was participating in something that she could not conceive of Emmanuel, God with us. Holy Spirit, it is our prayer that in this season of waiting for your advent, we recognize again that we are an advent people. We are waiting for your ultimate return for the making right of all things, for your kingdom come. Stir in us in this season an extravagant willingness to participate even in the weird moments of your kingdom breaking into this reality. And may our hearts be full of wonder and of joy. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>